Living by the book is what we've been working on all year. It's our annual theme this year, and uh, we've been looking at a number of different series of different areas where we can live by God's book. It is the inspired Word of God. It's the best guide for life. It's the infallible guide for life, and we accept it as the uh, Thessalonians did, as the actual Word of God. And uh, we're trying to live by it this year. Our series that we're involved in right now is called Home Restoration by the Book. We like to talk about the Christian home pretty frequently around here. Got a lot of young families, a lot of kids, a lot of uh, generations around here. And the Christian home is essential to uh, our living by the book. So we're in a series on that right now. Uh, We started, the first lesson was about America, really, and the mess that America's in because of the uh, decline of the home. And so we're looking at it one home at a time, uh, see what we can do about it. Last week, we talked about parenting with purpose. And hopefully in your home, that's uh, if you're a parent uh, or a grandparent, that's been uh, in your mind this week and thinking about how you parent with purpose. Today we're going to do step five and the final step. Uh, we will battle the culture is our point today that we want one home at a time to do. Battle the culture. Uh, I've called this final lesson uh, Battling the Culture. Uh, and it's kind of a catch-all description. Uh, I need to explain what we're really talking about in a moment. But the culture uh, is attributed great power. When we say the culture, Uh, the culture influences teens, we say. Uh, The culture is what's tearing up families, we say. Uh, Sometimes we say this culture is sick. (laughs) Uh, That phrase is heard in my house every once in a while after something's on TV. I say this world is sick. Uh, The culture is sick. Uh, We say that's real popular in culture right now, popular culture. Uh, So we blame culture for all sorts of things, and we talk about it that way, and we do need to battle the culture. Uh, So that's why I use the term, but just among us, uh, we need to understand what this really is. What we're really talking about is we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. Uh, I use the term culture to include the world and everything that the world's putting at us, but... It's really spiritual warfare. Uh, At stake are our children, our grandchildren, our marriages, our homes, uh, our community, all of society. It's what's at stake in this warfare. You may remember this slide. Uh, It's from an old series, 2006. We did a series about spiritual warfare. Uh, Maybe we need to do that again. In fact, I thought when I went back and dug that slide up, I thought maybe in 2014 our theme ought to be just golden oldies. We ought to just go back and pick series from the past few years and, and do them over again. We, we don't talk about them enough probably. But we went into spiritual warfare in great detail. And if you're interested, you can look that up in the library and get that series. But uh, that's what this is about. Ephesians 6.12 makes it pretty clear. Ephesians 6.12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, uh, but, against, uh, but against the rulers and uh, the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, We talked about that the first lesson, really. We said we've tried to fix the mess in America by electing politicians and writing laws and, and picketing and protesting and writing, signing petitions and all that. That's battling flesh and blood. Hadn't really worked. We need to understand this is spiritual warfare. Uh, the politicians and the moral majority and all the things that we've done in that area haven't slowed the decline down much. I'm not saying they're, they're worthless, but I'm saying they really hadn't changed much. The flip side of the fact that it really hadn't changed much is the reason we need to understand is spiritual warfare is because it's so important that we take our responsibility on the battle line if this is spiritual warfare. That's what we've been talking about, getting the covenant right. If we get the covenant right of marriage so that husbands and wives are fighting side by side, then we do better. If we understand the roles of men and women, and you men step up and take leadership in your home, we'll do better in the spiritual battle. If parents stop being distracted by all of the enemy's phony stuff, we we looked at all the different purposes a parent can have last week. Most of that comes from the world. It's a battle plan. If you raise your kids with the right purpose, we'll do better in the spiritual warfare. Our opponent is called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the ruler of this world. He's called the god of this world. He's called a roaring lion, a destroyer, a devourer, a slanderer. A liar from the beginning, the father of all lies. That's who we're dealing with. The Bible tells us that. That's what's involved here. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at his handiwork. We look at the Bible plan, and then we look at where we are, and we say, how did we get there? The deceiver got us. That's the way he works. Now, one great advantage in this spiritual battle is that we know his plan. The Bible tells us a lot of things, but the verse that was just read for you is probably one of the best things. It says, here's what the plan of our opponent is. Let's go back and look at 1 John 2, 15 and 16 again. John said, love not this world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, And we've talked about this before. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about the planet we live on. He's talking about the world system. The culture is another way to say it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. See, the world system is opposed to God's system. It's completely different because our opponent runs the world. And then here's the battle plan. John says, for all that is in the world, this is all there is. This is the only three tricks Satan has. This is his battle plan. He's had it from the beginning. He used it in the garden. He used it with Jesus. He uses it on us. Lust of the flesh, 
lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not of the Father. That's of the world. That's the only three things in the battle plan. Understand that? The teams that played football yesterday, if one team could have had the other team's playbook, they could have had the playlist and known what was going to be run. You think they'd have done better? Yeah, if you know what's coming, you do better. And we know that we, we get confused sometimes by the culture and the world and what Satan throws at us, but there's only three tricks. And I picked the King James Version because he says it clears the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, you may feel like you're under siege. Now, I'll switch from a spiritual truth here to a material metaphor. Uh, we're still in a spiritual battle, but picture it as being in the castle or in your home, your castle, and it's being attacked. That's what we've been talking about for five weeks. The God's plan for the home was being attacked. We, we started by eliminating personal responsibility. That's where Satan's got us. Nobody's responsible for anything anymore. Uh, diminishing the covenant of marriage. Turning the covenant into just a contract that we can break anytime we want. Corrupting the male and female roles. We talked about that. Confusing the purpose of parenting. All of that's being thrown at us. Now, we've talked about those, and today I want to just throw two small things at you. They're actually major things. But where the home is being assaulted. Yeah, God's basic plan of the covenant and the roles and parenting and all that's being attacked. But here's two things that I think are worth taking just a little time to talk about. Uh, the, one major attack is materialism. Okay. Lust of the eyes. That's one of Satan's three tricks. Uh, we want stuff. Okay. You say, well, you're not talking about God's original plan for the home here anymore. No, I'm just telling you, this is a side attack that makes the home... Uh, weaker. As part of the spiritual warfare, this is one of Satan's tricks. It's one of his biggies. Materialism. Okay? And it gets us, whether we admit it or not. It's the way the world works. Saw a car ad last night on TV. Some guy got in this car, or a car drove by, and everybody, the whole civilization stopped and just, oh. Yeah. Well, you need one of those, don't you? That's what the world tells us. The culture says, you got to have one of those. Because everybody would think that's really cool. So that gets into pride of life a little bit too, but it's materialism. If you're my age or thereabouts, think about what happened in your lifetime. Do this. Compare the house that you live in now with the house you grew up in. Just think about that for a while. Now, we got a few folks here that are still in the same house. But most of you have changed a little bit. And if you think about it, you know, you, your walk-in closet is probably the size of your bedroom when you grew up. 
How many bathrooms did you have in the house where you grew up? You young people don't know what I'm talking about here. People used to get by in, in little bitty houses, little bitty closets, and one-car garages and things like All Today, you show a young person that, and they say, you can't live in something like that. You can't live in a cracker box like that. Well, how did we get there? We used to be able to live in those. But now we can't. We've got too many clothes to fit in a small closet. We've got to have big closets. Do you understand? Materialism has got us. Now, you younger people, you don't know what I'm talking about there. You younger people, it's probably electronics is probably where materialism gets you. And the rest of us, too. I saw an ad the other night that somebody's come up with a new plan, one of the cell providers, that you don't have to wait two years to get the newest phone. You can trade up any time you want. You don't have to wait till the end of your contract. And you can always have the latest and the newest and the best and the, the fastest and the smartest. Get it any time you want. Oh, it costs money, but that's all right. You've got to have the newest and the best and the fastest. Well, what's wrong with all that? What's wrong with having a big house or the latest phone? Well, stewardship, of course, is a biggie. What are we spending our money on? But secondly, if we're materialistic, if we've got to have all these things, then what do we have to do? We have to work more. We have to more spend, spend more time thinking about them and pursuing them and making enough money to buy them. And less time in the family and all of that. And when families fall for that, when everybody in the home over 16 has to work so everybody can get by and pay the big mortgage payment and all the cell phone bills and the cable bills and all that, Satan's done something to us. He's got us chasing one of his main tricks, materialism, lust of the eyes. Our defense for that is pretty clear. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Be content. That's what Paul said. If I got food and clothing, I'm, I'm happy. I'm content. How many of us could say that? Now, that's not enough. We need this and that and this other thing and that thing. And, well, we've got to have all this. Well, we're being attacked. The defense is be content. The second attack that I want to talk about for the family is immorality. Lust of the flesh, that's one of the big three. I don't need to describe immorality to you. You know what I'm talking about. Now, I'll admit, we might need to think a little bit. Because a lot of what just kind of bounces off of us is immorality. A lot of things that we just look at and say, well, it's just the way it is today. We just take it for granted. We've, we've come to where we accept it now. It passes approval these days. It's really immorality. Philippians 4.8 says Christians ought to think on good things. 
Think about good things all the time. I would contend that's almost impossible if you receive any modern media input. And I'm not saying we got to be hermits and go live in a cave and cut ourselves off from the outside of the world. But we are so inundated. Every form of media, every form of entertainment. It's impossible to think on good things when all that's coming in. And most of it is centered around this trick, the lust of the flesh, the immorality thing. Okay, well, what's the problem with this? Why am I saying this is an attack on the home that we got to think about? Well, what's the problem here? Well, let me, let me ask it this way. Now, this is real hypothetical here. What if there was no adultery, there was no premarital sex, and there was no pornography? Just to pick three things. Now, you're all saying, well, that's ridiculous. There's always been. Adultery and premarital sex. I know there's always been, but what if there was none? Just think about it. What if there was none? What would happen to the number of broken homes? It wouldn't go to zero, but how far down would it go? What would happen to the number of divorces? What would happen to the number of abortions? What would happen to the number of single parent families or unwanted children? Yeah, if you think through it, well, man, it'd pretty near go away. Things would be a lot different. Now, I know we can't do that. I know we're not going to beat Satan at that in the world, but we might beat him one home at a time. But that's what we're being attacked with. Culture trains us. Culture trains our children that immorality is all right. You don't have to watch many sitcoms. You don't have to watch any commercials to figure out that culture says immorality is okay. In fact, it's good. In fact, it's funny. In fact, it's natural. That's what culture's telling us. Our defense to that, <laughs> Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, Christians, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Okay? When I said... What if there was no adultery? What if there was no premarital sex? What if there was no pre- you said, that's impossible. Well, now you're saying that again, aren't you? Ephesians 5.3 said, there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality. And you say, well, that's impossible. Well, culture's got us. Okay? This is the way Paul said we ought to think. Among Christians, we ought to make sure there's not even a hint of immorality. Those are the two things. In one sense, all the culture is our problem. The world is set against God's plans. We know that. But especially right now, it seems, the world is set against the Christian home. All the things we've been talking about has been trying to tear that up. 
And what I've been asking is one home at a time to nail some promises on your door. To say, here's what I'm going to do. Now, I don't know how many of you have taken the challenge. I don't know if anybody has. I don't know how many have taken challenge one or two or three or four or all of them. But today, if there's room left on your door, here's number five. We will battle the culture in our home. Doesn't matter what anybody else does. In our home, we're going to focus on battling the culture. Materialism, immorality in particular, but the world system in, in total. We're going to battle it. We're going to understand it's a spiritual battle. We're really going to make an effort at this. Okay? That's the one we want to nail to the door this week. Now, each week we talk about, well, how do you do that? Okay, let's try that a little bit. Step number one, pray. If this is a spiritual battle, that ought to be step one. If it's a spiritual battle, we can read all the help books, we can go to all the classes we want, we can listen to all the sermons we want, but if it's a spiritual battle, we ought to be enlisting all the help we can in a spiritual battle. You do that by praying. Now, we'd have to go back and do the whole series about spiritual warfare to understand how real this is. And some of you may not believe that or think that, but it is. If you walk down the hall toward my office, in my office you'll see this painting hung. It's supposed to be a representation of Michael, the archangel. And it says under it in the little script there, in the battle, lines are drawn. Strength has gathered, you are not alone. There is a spiritual battle going on. Yeah. It's unseen, is the difficulty of it. That strength that has gathered to help you in your home, it's unseen. You can't see it, it's invisible. But it's real. But one of the main stories we talked about when we talked about spiritual warfare is over in 2 Kings 6. Elisha, and Elisha's adversaries, the king, had sent a huge army, and when they woke up, Elisha and his servant, the army was surrounding them. And Elisha walked out and looked at it and thought, okay. The servant went ballistic. The servant said, what are we going to do? There's no hope. Look at this. We're surrounded. The party's over. And Elisha did step one. Elisha prayed. He said, God, open this guy's eyes. Open his eyes so he can see what's really going on. And God opened them for him. And Elisha's servant looked, and behind the physical army was a huge spiritual army. The, the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth, had assembled his army. And Elisha's servant got it. He said, oh, okay, they're out there. Pray to them, line them up, get them on your side, recognize them. Step one, pray. Step two, make right choices. I know this sounds dumb. I mean, it sounds simplistic. Well, no duh, you make right choices. Well, 
I know it sounds simplistic, but it's the answer. It really is the answer. How do you battle the culture? You make right choices one at a time. Let me ask you this. For the next five minutes, for the next five minutes, if I ask you to do something, could you ignore the culture and choose God's way, no matter what the consequences were? If I just picked one of you at random and walked out there and said, okay, here's a dilemma in your house. The culture wants you to go this way. God wants you to go this way. Would you, could you go God's way for the next five minutes? I don't see any head shaking. No. You're afraid I'll come ask you. Everybody would say, yeah, I could do that. Okay, if you can do it for five minutes, could you do it for an hour? Well, see, it's real hard to change your answer, isn't it? Because it's not for an hour, it's one choice at a time. If you could do it once, then you can do it again. If you can do it this time, you can do it the next time. If you can do it one time, then the, the next time, a week from now or a month from now or whenever, that your peers or your spouse or your teenager is pushing the world's way on you, you can say, no, we're going to do it God's way. I'm going to make that choice because I'm battling the culture. It's a bigger deal than this one little choice. It's the battle that we want to win. I put a list of a whole bunch of things on your handout. I could have put 40 times that many, but I just put a few. I want you to just go through them when you get home, think through them a little bit. We'll go through them real, real fast here. But if you're really going to battle the culture, if you're going to battle materialism and immorality in particular in your home, here's some things where you can make a right choice. First one I put down was a budget. Make a budget if you don't have one. You say, well, I've got one, but I never look at it. Well, look at it. You say, well, I don't know how to make a budget. Well, learn how. Okay, go to a Dave Ramsey class. Go to a Crown Financial class. We, we put those on around here all the time to help you learn this stuff. Get online and... I saw an ad just the other day for the Khan Academy. has got a course called BetterMoneyHabits.com. Teach you how to make a home budget. How to have better spending habits. Okay. If you understand materialism is attacking, then make the right choice on a budget. Look at your giving. What percentage are you giving? So I don't know. Well, figure it out. Compare the percentages you're giving against how much you spend for entertainment. Do some things like that. Think about it. If we're in a battle, let's set our mind to this and make some right choices. I put down want and need. That's my favorite one. That settles a whole lot of questions easily. When you get ready to buy something, whether it's small or big, just ask yourself, do I want this or do I need it? Is this a want or a need? Uh, we need hardly anything. In fact, Paul said, food and clothing, that's it. I'm okay. We buy a whole lot of things. We just want. 
I'm not saying you can't do that. Some, some's okay. But if you, if you get out of whack here, where materialism is taking you over, where it's hurting your family, and there are cases where it's hurting your family. Motivation, I put down. Why am I buying this? Why, why do I want this? Why do I think I need it? Think through the motivation of it. I put dress down there. Not a dress, but dress. How you dress. And this fits both of them. This fits in both materialism and immorality. Okay? Materialism. If you have to have the latest fashion, if you have to have the best brand name on it, then Satan's got you with materialism. Immorality. If you send your kid off to school dressed inappropriately or to church dressed inappropriately because they've convinced you that well, everybody wears this kind of thing. Okay? The world's got you. You know what's immoral. You know what's right. Do, make the right choice. Stop and think. What's Ephesians 5.3 say? Not even a hint of immorality. That sets a pretty high standard. And the world sets a pretty low standard. But it's going to be tough. I'm not saying this is easy. It's going to be a battle. Because your kid's going to say, oh, Dad, you old stick in the mud. Everybody dresses like this. You may be that may be tough for you to say no to. Well, pray, open my eyes. Everybody in the room, the kids, your spouse, everybody may be telling you this is okay. Everybody dresses this way. Open your eyes and look around. Michael's back there saying, "Oh no." Michael and his forces are saying, "No." That's given into the world. Friendships. You're going to have to decide what friendships you have if you're really going to battle the culture. You're going to have to decide what friendships you allow your kids to have. That's a huge attack. I listed some things, music, TV, movies, the internet. I didn't even list video games and all that kind of stuff. How much are you going to have What kind are you going to look at, listen to, play with? What are you going to let your kids do? These are things you've got to decide. You've got to make a choice about if you're in a battle. If you don't understand it's a battle, and you just let it happen, whatever the kids want and whatever culture feeds us and all that, you're going to wake up one day and say, what happened to the home? This whole series is about folks who are serious about this. I don't expect everybody to buy into it. But if one home will, then we'll make progress. School choice. You know, that didn't used to matter. When I was a kid, you just sent kids to school and they learned the three R's. That's what school was for. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Now you learn a whole lot of other things at school. Whether you want your kids to or not, they're going to learn. About materialism and immorality and all kinds of things. School choice is a big decision. What's your purpose as a parent? It's a battle. 
Activities. What kind of activities are you going to engage in? What are you going to let your kids engage in? Language. What kind of language are you going to allow in the house? If you just let the culture decide it, you hear all kinds of bad stuff, just in commercials. You don't even have to watch the show. It just comes at you. If you're going to battle the culture, you've got to decide that as parents. Time use. What are you going to spend time doing in your family? Dating when your kids get ready to date. You're going to have to talk about that. What's the right age and what's the right activities and what's allowed and what's not? Privacy. What access are you going to have to your kids' computers and your kids' phones? You're going to have to think through that. You're going to have to discuss it. You're going to have to explain why. I got total access. Because this is a battle. Okay, That list there, it's just a start. Just a few little things. The reason I put it on there is because I want you to think, this is hard work. This is not something you do just accidentally. If you're going to battle the culture in your home, it's going to take some work. Let me close with the third point. Depending on how old you are in here, how, how do you nail this one to the door? Here's, here's what I would say we need. We need, first of all, some young people that are like Daniel and his friends. Okay? Talking to you guys right now. Most of you sitting here, there's a few sitting in other places. I mean, just, just scripture, all scripture here. Daniel chapter 1. Uh, and you know the story of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, got captured, taken to Babylon, and all that. Verse 8, Daniel resolved, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He went into a different culture. There were things in that culture that were wrong, according to his God. And when he got there, all alone, all alone, he resolved not to defile himself. We need some young people like that. We need some young people that will say, no matter what this culture is telling me, I resolve I'm not going to defile myself. I think this weekend was the purity banquet. And we've got things like that for both boys and girls around here. We, we work at that. We battle it. That's good. Uh, over to chapter 3. Verse 16, we read about his three friends. Famous story. Would you bow down to the, 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 uh, the idol of the king? And they didn't. Everybody else did. Threatened to throw them in the fiery furnace, all that. Great response here. Remember this one. Chapter 3 and verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know what they said? They said, if you want to throw us in the furnace for this, because we didn't bow down with everybody else. You understand that picture? They were out on the plain, the idol up there, thousands of people, three guys standing up. How hard would that be to be? Everybody else hit the dirt. 
Worship the king because the king said to Three guys stood up. King said, come here, we've got to talk about this. You're going in the furnace if you don't bow down. They said, it's okay. Number one, our God can get us out of it if he wants to. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your gods. <laughs> Peer pressure won't kill you. But those boys said, it's okay if it does. <laughs> it's okay because we're not going to serve the wrong God. That's, that's battling now, folks. Second, we need some couples and some parents. A lot of young parents over in this section. We need some couples and parents like Mr. and Mrs. Noah. Do you realize what Mr. and Mrs. Noah did? Genesis. This scripture again. I want to make sure I just read it so you know it. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. How hard was that? Verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Mr. and Mrs. Noah lived in a world where everybody thought evil all the time. They never had a good thought. That kind of describes where we are some days, it seems. But Mr. and Mrs. Noah, it says, he was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. We need some couples and some parents like that. They raised three boys. They raised three boys well. And their sons and their wives were saved along with them when the great flood came. Okay. Third, we need some old folks like old Joshua. Old Joshua, he's a great character. At the start of his book, listen to what it says. God said to Joshua, verse 6, chapter 1, Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's the promise to Joshua when he was starting. Now, at the end of his life, go over to Joshua 24. Here's, his last, here's where he's leaving the people. He's getting ready to die. And he says, um, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We need some old folks like that that are strong and courageous and tell young people and tell young parents, this is the way it is. This is the way our house operates. 
We're talking about language up there a little bit ago. I just remembered I saw a biography on TV. I just watched a piece of it about the ventriloquist, Jeff something that's famous these days. And he was telling his life story and how he tried so long to make it. And he finally got on The Tonight Show. And he was a hit. And Johnny Carson had him over to the couch and all that. And he was so high, he had made it. And he called his parents in West Texas to see if they had watched and his mama said, Jeff, we're really disappointed. You said hell on TV. We don't talk that way in this house. Ruined his day. It ruined his way. He was deflated. He said he couldn't believe it, that they didn't support him. And I said, go mama. Yeah, this is the way our house runs. We don't talk like that. And some of you are saying, there's nothing wrong with that. Culture's got you. We need some young people, some, some parents and couples. We need some old folks that all understand this is a battle. And here's what we're going to do about it. The picture I selected for this series, it's a depressing picture, isn't it? <laughs> a sad looking house. And I know your home doesn't look that bad. Your house might. Your home doesn't look that bad, surely. The difference between house and home. Uh, but it is pretty close to the state of homes in America. That's what we're talking about. I hope yours is considerably better. But whatever shape yours is in, I think there's room for improvement. Hopefully the series has shown us there's some room for improvement. Uh, there's room for caution. The enemy is serious about take, making your home look like that. The enemy wants to destroy your home. Okay. I told you three Bible stories this morning. Told you about Daniel, told you about Noah, told you about Joshua. You know one thing they all had in common? One common thread through all three stories, they were willing to stand alone. They were willing to stand alone against the culture. Some of them had to do it literally. Joshua had more support than the others, but sometimes he felt all alone, I'm sure. D Daniel's three friends were all alone. Noah had his family, and that was it. Nobody else was on his page. But they were willing to stand alone and battle for what was right. That's what this whole series has been about. It is looking for one home willing to stand alone. One home willing to battle for what was right. One home who will say... I will be responsible. Culture says nobody's responsible. I'll be responsible on this. I'm responsible for my home. One home that will say, we will restore the covenant of marriage. We won't let the world convince us about this contract thing and breaking it and all that. We're going to maintain the covenant of marriage. One home who will restore the roles of male and female that God has implemented. We're going to do that. It's going to be hard. Maybe some big changes, maybe some hard changes, but we're going to do it. One home that's willing to parent with purpose. Here's what I'm raising my kids for. Makes all my decisions for me, sets my priorities, that's what I'm going to do. We will battle the culture. Just need one home willing to do that. We're going to battle the culture because Satan's trying to take our home. We're going to battle it on every choice that we have. I pray that this series will make a difference. In one home. I pray that it's your home. In the battle.
Lines are drawn. Strength is gathered. You are not alone if you're that one home. The lesson is yours. If you need to respond this morning for any reason, come. Let's stand and sing.